Praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you so much, worship team. Praise God. God is good. Amen. You love Jesus today? Praise God. Well, I dropped my phone right here. If you reach for your phone and uh, you want to get involved in the uh, the YouVersion Bible app, we'll get that going. There it is. There's your instructions. You can open the little Bible app somewhere on your phone if you have that. And the lower right-hand corner, press More and halfway down, Events. And then select Casa View Assembly of God. And all of the handouts, all of the uh, slides for today's study will be part of your uh, phone record for about a week. Amen. Praise God. In the bulletin that you have today, go ahead and pull out today's study guide. And you can follow along with us in our study guide. And uh, we will get into that in just a moment. I'd like to begin with just a little bit of humor to uh, get your attention. I know that, uh, uh, you know, the mind is a wonderful thing. It kind of moves all around. You're thinking of all kinds of things. I think a little bit of humor is the, someone said, it's the shortest distance between two people. And so with that in mind, I want to connect with you today. I heard about a man who uh, had a habit of picking up things that didn't belong to him. Hello. Kleptomaniac, I think is a word. And uh, he got caught shoplifting in the grocery store. Oh, my. And uh, he was arrested. He went before the judge. And the judge asked him, well, what did you steal at the grocery store? He said, well, Your Honor, I stole a can of peaches. And the judge thought about it a little bit and said, well, how many peaches were in that can? He said, well, he said, I think about six, Your Honor. And so the judge thought about it a little bit and said, all right, I'm going to give you one week for each slice of peach that you stole. And there were six slices of peach, and so you get six weeks in jail. And just before he took his mallet to hammer and say, you know, this is final, just before he heard a voice in the back of the courtroom. And the man's wife stood up and yelled, Your Honor, Your Honor, wait, wait, can I say something? And so the judge said, Well, yes, what is it, ma'am? And she says, Well... He also stole a can of peas. (laughs) How many peas were in that can? (laughs) Oh my, amen. Praise the Lord. Well, our theme for this year is walking with God. Walking with God And we've been studying a series of messages, really, from the life of Abraham, because if you're looking for an example of someone in the Bible who walked with God, I mean, he was called a friend of God. I mean, how close can you get if you're called the friend of God? And so he is a great example for us, and we're looking at his life. And as Abraham walked with God, he proved himself to be trustworthy. So much so that the Lord one day said, I'm going to enter into a covenant relationship with you. And that's the title of today's message, Walking with God in a Covenant Relationship. Walking with God in a Covenant Relationship. And you say, well, what is a covenant? What is a covenant? Basically, a covenant is kind of like a contract. 
It is an agreement between two be- two people or two parties, two groups, at least two groups. And it is binding. It is a binding contract, a binding agreement that you will do everything in your ability to meet your end of the deal. And they will do everything in their ability to also meet the terms of this agreement. And so... As a result of entering into a covenant, there was an exchange of some type of, of earnest, or we would call it a symbol of the covenant, or a token of the covenant. And it was, it was part of the symbolic uh, meaning of that agreement. Forty-two years ago, 42 years ago, I entered into a covenant relationship with a young lady by the name of Marcia. Her last name at that time was Cox, C-O-X, Cox, Marcia Gale Cox. And when I entered into that covenant agreement with her, and we stood before the minister and repeated our vows to the Lord, she changed her last name from Cox to Alexander shortly after that. And that was part of the symbol of the covenant, but there was another symbol, and I wear it every day. It's called a ring. And every time I put on this ring, I'm reminded of the fact that I am married to Marcia. Amen. And she has a ring, too, that she wears, and that reminds her she's married to Marcia. I mean, Marcus. <laughs> Amen. Well, it did say the two will be one, you know. So there you go. And, uh, but this ring is not the covenant. It's a symbol of the covenant. And just because you wear a ring doesn't mean that you're in covenant with somebody, a relationship. Uh, But if you are in a covenant relationship in marriage, many times you will have a symbol of that. You'll wear it. It kind of lets everybody know you're not available. Amen. You're, You're spoken for. And so you understand that. Well, let's talk about the covenant for a little bit. God loved Abraham so much that he decided he would enter into a covenant relationship with him. And so that's what we're going to talk about today from Genesis chapter 15. And it says in that passage of Scripture that on this same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. It wasn't Abraham's idea. It was God's idea to enter into a covenant with him. And now a covenant, remember, it's a, it's, it, it's a binding agreement between two people. And so I would call it a two-way street. That it isn't just God doing everything. It's God doing His part and us doing our part. And so two people coming together in this agreement to fulfill both of their parts of that agreement. You say, well, what is God's part? Well, God said, I'm going to bless you. Oh, hallelujah. Hey, could you use a blessing from God? Oh, amen, amen, that's God's part, amen. Well, what's my part? What's, what was Abraham's part? His part was to obey God and do exactly what God said and just live his life in obedience to God. And so what's interesting there is that it wasn't just enough for Abraham to obey God. He also had to believe in the Lord, to believe in the Lord. In the Old Testament of your Bible, there was a, a bunch of laws that were written, 
And they were designed to help people get close to God and do what God wanted him to do. And uh, But the problem was, you could do all of that and never have your heart impacted. And you would go through festivals, and you would go through feast time, and times of bringing sacrifices, and you would just do that, but it never changed your heart. And that was the issue. And the issue was... it. it, it Dealing with that which is external. But Jesus, he addressed that in Matthew chapter 23. And he said, you know what? This old system isn't working. We need a new covenant. Because the old covenant, does, it doesn't change people's hearts. And he said, you know, it's kind of like a, a, grave, a graveyard with a, with a tomb there. And he, he, he says to the scribes and Pharisees, woe to you. Scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, you're just like a bunch of tombs at the cemetery, whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look so beautiful. You look like that you're, you're doing all the right things and you're bringing all the feast and, and, and all the sacrifices. You're going through all the rituals to, to worship God, but inside your heart hadn't changed. It's just like a bunch of corruption, just a bunch of old dead men's bones inside. That's kind of the way it looks like. And so Jesus, he understood that they needed to be a new covenant that would have some greater requirement for mankind. That instead of it just being outward things that you do, there needed to be an internal change in your heart. Amen. And so God saw that uh, the necessity for that. And Abraham believed the Lord. And he understood that believing is a heart thing. It's internal. Matter of fact, in, in Romans chapter 10, Paul writes and says, For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So where, does, where do you get the idea of believing from? It comes from your heart. Amen. The way you get in right relationship with God is by believing, believing in the Lord. And that's what Abraham was committed for. He believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Amen. And so my question to you is, do you believe the Lord? Do you believe in the Lord? Oh, I hope you do. Because it's essential for you to enter into this new covenant that He has established with us. He has already done His part of this covenant 2,000 years ago on a cross. Amen. He's done His part. He shed His blood for us. Amen. Now we need to do our part. What do we do? We believe. We believe because that's an internal work. Amen. And so we believe, but we also obey. Amen. Believe and obey. Praise God. Well, have you done your part? Have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? If not, before this day's over, I want to lead you in a prayer. A prayer that you will affirm your faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Because that's the way you enter into this covenant. It's a two-way street. It isn't just God only. It's God does His part. He's already done it on the cross. And now we do our part. We believe. We believe. It's necessity. And so Scripture says that Abraham believed God. And here's a passage of Scripture. The Lord took him outside of his tent and said, Look up at the sky. You see all those stars? And Abraham said, Yeah, I see those. And God said, I did that. You did that? Yeah, I did. I created all that. Wow, that's great. God said, hey, why don't you start counting those things? There's no way in the world I can count all those, Lord. He says, so shall your seed be, your offspring. I'm going to bless you with more than all the stars in the sky. And Scripture says in the next verse, and he believed 
in the Lord. He believed in the Lord and, and it was accounted, it was deposited into his account as being made right with God. In other words, here was an Old Testament fellow that believed God and God said, you are in right standing with me. You're in right standing. You're righteous. You're saved. Praise God. Hallelujah. And it came about not because he brought more sacrifices. It came about because he had a heart change. He believed in the Lord. Praise God. Now, it wasn't just a mental belief. What do you mean by that? A, A mental acknowledgement that he believed that God exists. No, it was much more than that. This was not that Abraham believed that there was a God, a higher power. This was a very sacred moment in his life. When Abraham took a leap of faith and said, God, if you did all of that in the heavens and you have made me a promise that you're going to bless my offspring, I'm just going to trust you. I'm just going to believe you. I'm going to believe that nothing is impossible with God. Amen. And it was at that moment that set the pattern, the example for faith in the rest of Scripture. Amen. For you see, it was in this declaration that he believed God that Abraham was justified by faith, by his belief. And that word justified is just a word that means he was pronounced innocent. He was just as if he had never sinned, justified by his belief. And so, Scripture, again, this is our text, verse 6, Genesis 15, Abraham believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness or right standing with God. And this is how you and I are saved. When we believe, that's our part of the covenant. He's died on the cross, that's his part of the covenant. And when we believe, we are part of the covenant and we are born again into the covenant relationship of God. We are saved. Amen. And this is how that we receive the promises of God on the basis Of not how good we are, but on the basis of our belief, our faith, our trust in God. Now, it is this act of believing that actually brings you into covenant relationship with God. I want you to get that. If you don't get anything else today, get that. It is the act of believing that brings you into covenant relationship with God. In verse 18, what's interesting, same passage, Just a few verses later, on this same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Now, up to this point, in the revelation of what God was revealing to Abraham of his plan, of his purpose, of his will, up to this point, everything has always, all the promises that he's given him have always been something, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do this for your offspring. Everything is distant and in the future. I'm going to give you this land someday. It's all in the future. But something happened at this moment in the covenant, establishing of this covenant, that changed all of that. And if you read on in this passage, he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of Chaldees to give you this land to inherit. I'm going to give you this land to inherit. And then Abraham asked him a question. And the question is, in verse 8, he said, Lord, how shall I know that I will inherit it? And notice it, it's something in the future, that I will inherit. How will I know that? And the Lord responds to him. And uh, 
after the covenant was sealed, notice the words of the Lord are no longer in future tense, but now they are in past tense. And here's the verse of Scripture, verse 18. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land. From the river Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. I have given it. Abram could now take it to the bank. He could, he could draw on that promise. That, that what, God, what God said, it's already done. I have given you this land. And he knew it was so because God had now established a covenant blessing with him. Now Abraham still didn't know how it was going to happen. He had questions. And he asked the Lord, in effect, Lord, I'm yours. Everything I have is yours, Lord. But I surrendered you. But how do I know that I will inherit these things that you have promised? And so Abraham was asking God, how do I know? And and God said... He was saying to God, what's going to be the sign? What's going to be the sign that that I know that you're going to do this for me? And the answer that he received in basic essence is, go and shed blood. Go and shed blood. That isn't exactly the words that he used, but here's the passage of Scripture. And he said in verse 8, how will I know that I will inherit it? And in verse 9, the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer. Bring me a goat, bring me a ram, bring me a turtle dog, bring me a pigeon. And he brings those animals to him and he said, now cut them in half. He's slaying blood. He's bringing these sacrificial victims to the Lord and they are victims of the covenant. And so he cuts them all and, and they divides them in half except for the birds and they are placed before him. So here's the point. Before God could pass through, which was the ceremony of covenant, when two parties would pass through, if you will, these victims and exchange places, and uh, it would be a symbol, a sign of the covenant. Before God could establish the covenant of promise, there had to be first a shedding of blood. There had to be a shedding of blood. The covenant was going to be a blood covenant. It was going to be sealed in blood. And it would point to another covenant in the distant future that would be established by the Son of God Himself when He would shed His own blood on the cross of Calvary to establish the new covenant, the covenant of grace. Praise God. And He sealed that covenant with His own precious blood. So when you believe in Jesus, you receive Him into your heart, and you are saved. And at that moment, you have entered into the covenant, doing your part of what God has already done His part. Praise God. Now, when you have entered into this covenant by believing in Jesus Christ and what He has done for you, when you enter into that, you also can expect that your faith is going to be tested. Your covenant faith in Christ is going to be tested. Just because you enter into a covenant relationship with God by believing in Him doesn't mean that life is now tiptoeing through the tulips. It's easy street for you. No, no, no. You'll never have another problem. Oh, my. You're just going to coast along from victory to victory all your life. Friends, I want to pop that balloon for you real quick. When you enter into a covenant relationship with God... You upset the apple cart. Amen. The enemy gets upset at you. Amen. So get prepared because the enemy is going to come against you and try to rob and steal your faith. In verse 11, 
it says, and then the vultures came. When the vultures came down, remember, Abram had, had done what the Lord said, and he had took the heifer and the ram and the goat and the pigeon, turtle dove, and he had cut them in half, he laid them out, and he's waiting on God to show up. It's, it's, it's daytime now, but God's going to come at night, and so he's waiting. And these, you've seen those vultures circle around when they see uh, uh, prey? Uh, you ever seen those, you know, those buzzards? We call them buzzards. And, and so, and so they're... Those vultures, they were floating around. They were trying this coming down. They wanted to get a free meal. And so we read about it. And the vultures came down on the carcasses. What are these? These are the tokens of covenant, blood covenant. And know what? notice what Abram did. He drove them away. He said, shoo, get out of here. Get out of here. And maybe he picked up a rock and threw it at him or something. But he stayed busy. He was a human scarecrow. And he was scaring those dudes away. Now, the vultures came to get a free meal. They wanted to rip. They wanted to steal. They wanted to tear apart. Amen. And in the New Testament, Jesus used birds to symbolize, uh, on some occasion, uh, good things. and other occasion, bad things. There was a parable of the sowing of seed. Remember that, that, that parable, the sowing of seed? Here's the passage from Matthew 13. He told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. And we know that he tells us later that the seed is the word. The seed, he's sowing the word. It's going to fall on some good hearts, some good soil. And he says that, that one of the places that some of the seed lands, he was scattering seed and some fell along the path. And the birds came and ate it up. I don't think it was vultures that came, but I think the same principle applies. And then later in the passage, around verse 18, he explains what the parable means, especially what happened to those that fell along the path. In verse 18, he said, listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes... And snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed strewn along the path. And so even Jesus uses the analogy, if you will, of birds that would come and steal the seed. And uses that in a negative sense. How the evil one will try to come and steal the word that has been placed in your heart. Oh my. The fact of the matter is Satan opposes you. He opposes any new growth in your life. Any effort for you to grow deeper in God and, and, and for God to do a great profound work in your life will bring out the vultures from the pit who will come to tear and rip and devour. Now, I'm not talking about literal vultures. I'm talking about in the spirit realm. Sometimes God uses people and they act like vultures. Hello. Amen. Now observe that Abram drove the vultures away. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now when we enter into a covenant relationship with God by believing, there will always be those vultures who will try to rob you of the covenant promise that you have received. There will always be those scavengers, if you will, seeking to desecrate our covenant and the symbols of covenant. There will be doubters. Hello, that's a vulture, a doubter. There will be the unbelievers, people of unbelief, lying spirits who will come to bring deception. Even the devil himself 
will try to come and persuade you, oh, you, you didn't get saved. You don't, you're not in covenant with God. No, 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 no. You're not worthy enough. You're not good enough. Why, don't you remember that horrible sin you committed back then? Oh, there's no, there's no way in the world. Why, your personality isn't strong enough. You could never share your faith with anyone else. You just are meek and mild. Oh, and you can hear those voices. And what they are is just vultures. They're vultures that have come from the enemy to rob you of your covenant promise. What do you need to do? Why don't you do what Abram did? Drive those dudes away. Shoo, get out of here. Get out of here. Amen. Praise God. So how should we respond? I believe we should respond the same way Abram responded. Amen. As soon as we hear those vultures come and the words that they're speaking, immediately rise up and resist and drive them away. And keep on driving them away and declare, these vultures will not devour my covenant between me and God. Amen. James was the half-brother of Jesus. They had the same mom, different dads, if you will. Amen. You'll get that later when you think about it. James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Therefore, submit yourselves to God. That's an important step. Submit yourself to God. Amen. And if you do that, you're under authority. And guess what? You will have authority. Then you can resist the devil And he will flee from you. Amen. Because you are in submission to God. Amen. Our problem is when the devil comes against us in our family, we just sit back and wring our hands and say, Oh my, what are we going to do? Oh, woe is me. I'll tell you what you need to do. Rise up, stand against the enemy, move in the spirit and authority of Christ that he has given you, and resist him and say, Shoo, get out of here. Leave, leave, devil, leave. Amen. And he will flee. And so God brings you into covenant when you believe. And the second thing we've discovered today is that you can expect your covenant faith to be tested. Amen. Here's the third thing. God ratifies the covenant that he has established. He did it with Abraham with symbols. And he'll do it with us with symbols as well. Now let's talk about the symbols that he used with Abraham. And uh, uh, he used two symbols. One of those was a flaming, a flaming torch, and the other was a smoking fire pot or oven, Scripture says. Here's a verse of Scripture from verse 17 and 18 of our text. After the sun went down, this is when God shows up. Amen. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abraham saw... Two things. He saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of these carcasses. Amen. And that was the sealing or the ratifying of the... This was something God did. Amen. You say, well, what does that mean? I don't really understand this smoking fire pot and flaming torch thing or lamp or whatever you call it. And, and notice it says, so the Lord made a covenant with Abram that, that, that day. And said, I have given you this land. Not I'm going to. I have given you this land. And your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River. Amen. Now, notice the two signs or symbols. First is the smoking fire pot. What's that about? The smoking fire pot or furnace 
signifies affliction or suffering. It signifies tests or trials. It signifies pain. Hello. It signifies the suffering, if you will. It points to the time of affliction, even to the affliction of the seed of Abraham when they would be held captive in Egypt as slaves some 400 years later. And so this fire pot, if you will, the smoky fire pot, is a negative thing. Hello, negative thing. You got it? It's pain, it's affliction, it's suffering. Now, on the other hand, the flaming torch or the flaming lamp signifies help. (laughs) Help, amen. And if you're going to get one or the other, I suggest you choose the flaming lamp. Amen. Because it's where you get help in time of trouble, in time of need, and comfort. Glory to God. And what's interesting is that God showed both the flaming lamp at the same time that He showed the smoking fire pot. Had both of them. And I'm thankful for that because uh, the lamp is what's going to get you out of the smoking fire pot. Hello. Amen. The lamp is what's going to give you direction in the smoke. Friends, God's Word is a lamp. Amen. It's a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your pathway. And it will shine even in the dark place. The Lord Jesus Christ Himself, as He established His new covenant on the cross, it was prophesied in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 53, that, uh, that he would suffer affliction. You know what that was, symbolically? It wasn't the, the flaming lamp or the flaming torch. No, it was the smoking furnace. And Isaiah describes it in verse 4 and 5, 53. He said, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Oh, glory to God. Praise the Lord. That's what Christ did in the smoking pot, if you will, the smoking oven, if you will. That's the suffering part of what He gave us. And that's a picture of the cross, if you will, the agony of the cross. Yet, in the midst of His suffering, there was also a flaming torch, a lamp, if you will. And Jesus' own words, He declared to them, He said, I am the flaming torch. I am the lamp of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Oh, glory to God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. And so symbolically, we see both the flaming torch and the smoking uh, pot or the oven, if you will, the smoking oven. We see those both exhibited or demonstrated symbolically in the suffering of Christ on the cross. And his resurrection. And so the body and the blood of Jesus Christ indeed is our covenant sacrifice. We don't have what Abraham had. We don't have the, the, the ram and the, and the goat and, and the heifer and the pigeons and turtle. We don't have those. We have Jesus Christ on the cross. He is the ultimate sacrifice. Amen. And symbolically we see both the smoking fire pot and the flaming lamp. Now... Remember again, up to this point with Abram, 
God had always been speaking in the future tense, I will give you, I will give your, your, your inheritance, I will give you this land. But now, in verse 18, the verb tense changes to past tense, and now the Lord says, I have given you this land all the way from Egypt to the river Euphrates. I've given it to you. Now, what brought about this dramatic change from past tense to, uh, from future tense to past tense? I will give it to, I have given it. What brought about this dramatic change? Friends, I submit to you, it was because of the blood covenant that had been ratified by the Lord. Because of the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch passed among, and the Lord Himself ratified this covenant of blood. The blood had been shed. And both symbols passed among the emblems of the covenant, a smoking fire pot, a flaming lamp, passed among the sacrifice, and the covenant was now in effect. The promises to Abraham had become a present reality, not just a future promise. It had become, I have done it. Amen. And so it was no longer, I'm going to give it to you, but now it is, I have given it to you because of the blood. Hallelujah. I have given it to you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Now let me illustrate this with a story from history. Nudge your neighbor if they're sleeping, they can wake up for this story. Amen. 152 years ago, the year was 1871. Some of you, no, no, none of you will remember that. 1871, that gives you the perspective. There was a well-known English explorer who went to Africa to look for Dr. Livingston. When Sir Henry Morton Stanley, a famed uh, politician and researcher and explorer, he went to Africa and traveled through Tanzania and other parts of Africa in search of Dr. David Livingston. And on his trip of over 700 miles until he found him, which he did, He was confronted and blocked by a powerful tribe that hindered him from proceeding any further. And so, Sir Henry Morton Stanley, with his guide and interpreter, the guide explained to him that if he wanted to continue his search for Dr. Livingston, he would have to cut a covenant with the chief of the tribe. And so Stanley pondered that, and, and uh, he wanted to continue his search, but he wasn't quite sure what that meant. What does it mean for me to cut a covenant with the chief? And so the guide began to explain to him that there would have to be an exchange of gifts, and that it would be a blood covenant. You would have to cut Both would cut and they would have to join together and it would be a covenant of agreement that would be a permanent bond. And so blood had to be involved, but there also had to be exchange of gifts. And so Stanley, he realized for him to reach his potential, you know, he could put a band-aid on that. It wouldn't be any big deal. He could handle a cut. And so he decided, yes, uh, 
he agreed. And they began the process of this cutting of covenant. But before the blood was shed, they had to exchange gifts. Dr. Stanley was not in good health. And everywhere he went, he took a goat. And he took the goat so that he could have fresh goat's milk. And so that's how he was able to maintain his health. And wouldn't you know it, the chief said he wanted the goat. And it was a very, very difficult decision for Stanley to make. Because obviously he needed the goat for his health. That goat was valuable to him. And finally, he yielded and gave the goat. And in exchange, the, he received from the chief a tall spear wrapped with copper. Oh my. To Dr. Stanley, this did not seem like a very impressive gift. After all, what practicality would be a spear for him to use? Nevertheless, the covenant was completed and he was allowed to depart on his journey. The next day, the next time that his party met someone along the way, a very unusual thing happened. The person they met bowed to the ground before Stanley. And he didn't understand it at first until he was told that the chief had given him The symbol of his authority. You know, Stanley had been worried about losing his goat. But now he could request a whole herd of goats if he wanted to. Because by entering into covenant, he now had the symbol of the authority of the chief himself. And friends, all the Lord is asking of you and me is for your goat. Your goat's milk. And in return, the Lord said, I will give you the symbol of my authority. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. And wherever you go, men will know the authority of Jehovah God himself is behind you. You ever wondered why that certain things... Have not happened in your life that you desire to happen. You're praying and praying and praying. And your prayers have not been answered. And you just keep praying. I ask you a question. Could it be that you're holding on to your goat? Hello? You're holding on to your goat's milk when God is wanting you to give. (laughs) He's wanting to give you his staff of authority over that issue. Oh, praise God. Amen. But first you have to be willing to give up your goat that you've been depending on. Amen. Some believers seem to think that God is imposing upon them when He asks for your tithes. Oh my. Hello. Friends, the tithe is but part of the covenant with the the Father. He's saying, give me a little of your goat's milk. Just a little. Just a tenth. Hello. I just want a little of your goat's milk. And I will open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings you can't even control. The blessings of God. Here's what it, But we want to hold on to our goat's milk. Because in our eyes, we need our goat's milk. Oh my. 
Little do we realize that by holding on to our goat, we are stopping up the flow of the covenant of blessings that our Father is ready to bestow upon us. I love the passage in Malachi. It says, bring all the goat's milk. Oh, all the tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And he says, test me. Try me now in this, says the Lord. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out such blessings that there will not even be room enough to contain it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Now here's another benefit of being in covenant with God. And here's the last one. We're getting ready to close in just a moment. Amen. And that is that this covenant that you've entered into with God by believing, and that's being tested by vultures and you're shooing them away, amen, and, uh, and that has symbols and has signs, if you will, this covenant will sustain you until the promise comes. Praise God. Just because Abram entered into a deeper walk with God in covenant relationship did not mean that his promise immediately came. It didn't immediately come. He had to wait 25 years. He was 75 years of age at this time. And his perspective was, I'm getting old, Lord. I'm 75 years of age. I mean, whatever you do, you better do quickly because, you know, I'm getting old. How many of you aware God never gets in a hurry? We, on the other hand, we want it now. I've said it before, I'll say it again, we are into microwaving. But God is into marinating. There's a difference. There's a difference. Amen. God never gets in a hurry. We get anxious, we worry, we fret, but God doesn't. Abraham was concerned that he was 75, but God wasn't concerned that he was 75. And then when he was a hundred years of age, the promise came. It came because Abraham, keep believe, he kept believing in God. He kept trusting in God. He kept believing in the power of the blood covenant. And the Lord says to him, don't worry about all that. You're going to live to be an old man. And he said that in verse number 15. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. As a matter of fact, the Lord gave Abraham a hundred extra years. He died at the age of 175. He had more years in front of him than he had behind him. Oh, my lands. Isn't that just like God? He gives you more than you expect. Now, we're getting ready to go into communion in just a moment. I'm going to invite the musicians to come at this time. You may be looking at your own life and saying, Lord, I'm getting older and and when are you going to bring to pass that which you have spoken in my heart? I've read the Word and I'm standing on the Word. It just hadn't happened yet. Friends, I, I want to remind you that you, if you've believed in the Lord, you are part of a covenant, a new covenant. And He has done His part on Calvary already. Amen. We just need to keep doing ours. We need to keep believing, keep trusting. Amen. And... God says, I've already established on the basis of covenant everything that I need to do. I've already done it on the cross. I've already paid for your healing. I've already paid. Another drop of blood will not have to be shed for your deliverance. I have provided already for you. I've done my part. Amen. I've put it in the bank account under your name. 
And all you need to do is have enough faith to go to the bank and make a withdrawal. Amen. Make a withdrawal. In closing today, we have an eternal covenant that has been ratified, not with the blood of heifers and goats and rams and turtle doves and pigeons, but ours has been ratified with the blood of Jesus Christ Himself on the cross of Calvary. Amen. And we have symbols of our covenant on the pew rack in the cup that is needed that you've placed near you is the symbols of our covenant. Amen. Now, if you have not received, when you walked in, the symbols of covenant, we have an usher at the back ready to serve you right now. Just raise your hand up, keep it up, and they will serve you if you haven't been served the symbols of covenant. Everyone have the symbol of covenant? Very good. Praise God. We have the double cup method. The lower cup is the bread. The upper cup is the the fruit of the vine. Amen. And every time that we partake... And we generally do this once a month. Every time, just to not be ritual. Some churches do it every time. We do it so that it will be extra special when we do it. Amen. Every time we do this, we are to remember the covenant. The covenant of the cross that Jesus established. Amen. And these are symbols of the cross. Symbols of of His body and His blood on the cross. And that's why we do this. So that we won't forget what Jesus did for us. Amen. We have children in here today. And children, I, I commend you for, for being very reverent. And if your parents give you permission, then you can participate. But if not, then that's the parents' decision, okay? But we are to do this reverently. Remember, there are birds that come to, uh, to rob. Rob the symbols. They wanted to rob. And if we partake in an unholy, unworthy just a flippant matter, then we've let a bird rob us of the meaning of what this means. And we are drinking and eating, not blessing, but even cursing into our lives. And so we do this very reverently and very holy today. Amen. Are you with me? Amen. And so on the night that he was to be betrayed, the night before, they met in the upper room and they had the Seder Passover meal. And he took the bread and he blessed it and he said this I'm establishing a new covenant oh praise God grace grace I'm so thankful for grace aren't you thankful oh praise God and that by believing in him we enter into that covenant relationship with God and we remember his body that was broken for us on the cross heavenly father I thank you Lord for the cross I thank you for the body of Christ by his stripes we are healed And Lord, as we eat this bread in just a moment, we will be remembering His body. And we give you thanks. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let us eat together. In the same manner, He took the cup. And He said, this cup represents my blood. In the new covenant that I'm establishing with you. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup. You will proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes again. Father we thank you for your blood. The blood of Jesus Christ. And I pray the grace of God will be manifest in our lives. As we drink this Lord we're drinking 
our part, the symbol of the covenant we have entered into by faith, by believing in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us drink together. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Oh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's praise Him now. Lord, we thank You for covenant. Lord, we thank You for the blood covenant that we've entered into. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You for victory in our lives. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's sing about it already. Can we do that? Stand with me, congregation.